mindfulness mode. If I'm giving up my perception of self, who am I? And that is very fearful. Welcome back, Mindful Tribe. Great to have you here on Mindfulness Mode again. And today I'm chatting with a very interesting person. He's multi-talented, and you're going to find out the many ways that he's multi-talented, but he's an author, he's a podcaster, he's been a mental health counselor and spiritual guide. He's passionate about philosophy, psychology, and exploring the human condition. My guest today is Dean Graves. Dean, are you in Mindfulness Mode today? I try to always be in a mindfulness mode, Bruce. Yeah. That's our effort, isn't it? It is, really, for sure. What does mindfulness mean to you, Dean? Well, I'm glad you asked, because I like to define uh, the words that we bandy about. Yeah. Um, mindfulness is a condition of being, and it arrives uh, from an understanding or the, the experience that we simultaneously exist in both the metaphysical world and the physical world. What most people recognize is only their physical world participation. But uh, unbeknownst or or unawareedly, we also actively participate with our metaphysical self. Mindfulness is nothing more than the meditative state that we achieve in meditation and learning to carry that perspective with us as we go back into our our daily lives. And I like to define it as being in the village, Mm. Uh, being in our meditative or our uh, meditative condition, uh, I call just being in the guru's cave. And so in the guru's cave, there are no problems. In the village are all problems. And so we are, by the nature of our experience, compelled to go back into the village. In other words, we can't stay and still be alive, be in our uh, guru cave state. So the mindfulness is learning what that guru cave state feels like uh, and carrying that with us as we get up from our cushion and go back into life and, uh, and have additional experiences. Well, your most recent book is The Identity Model, right? And you sent me this book. and That's correct. And I've, I've really enjoyed getting started with this and reading quite a bit of it. Tell me what your motivation was to write this book and what you would like the reader to take away. This book is, I wrote it for mental health professionals, uh, but it's very simplistic. It is not at all technical. And so the average uh, reader can read it and understand uh, completely what they need to get out of the book. It requires no prior training or understanding of the mental health uh, field at all. The human condition is predicated upon the experience of stress. And we historically have experienced significant stress and suffering and understanding the different stress is if you hit yourself in the head with a two before one time, then that's stressful. But if you keep hitting yourself in the head with a two before, that becomes suffering. It's essentially the same reaction to experiences, but it uh, perpetuates itself and uh, diminish, further diminishes our capacity to um, evolve. And my orientation and all that I do is to provide people with information 
and with that information hopefully undertake the task of increasing their degree of enlightenment in their progression through the evolutionary consciousness evolution process. Enlightenment is an often misunderstood term and since we're defining terms um, because of the the Buddha's experience most people associate enlightenment with the Buddha and a and they they deem it to be a destination it is not a destination it is a process and because it is a process everyone is enlightened to the degree they have allowed themselves to be enlightened and it is something that an individual has to give themselves permission to do and requires active work in order to um, increase their degree of enlightenment the tool that allows it that distinguishes us as um, individuals on an evolutionary path and this begins at the lowest levels of consciousness all the way through the top levels of consciousness the distinguishing factor is awareness we all have awareness and the we exist humanity exists within a range of consciousness that range of consciousness has a curriculum requirement that we learn and it's the it's defined as the third density and uh, density has a specific um, definition which we can get to in a few minutes but within that range of consciousness uh, are an infinite number of dimensions and the dimensions are hierarchical we all begin the process of uh, this range of consciousness at the lowest level and by escalating our awareness we advance through the density and as we advance we learn the curriculum we advance by learning the curriculum of the range of consciousness um, with the ultimate objective to graduating to the next range of consciousness well you kind of laid the groundwork in your book by talking about um, the three basic beliefs can you talk a little bit about that I found it quite interesting the, the basic the social and then the most immature beliefs you went on to talk about well, these are actually segments of the, um, the book is called the, the identity model. Mm -hmm. And we are designed to create it from the beginning of our evolution through this range of consciousness. We are uh, programmed to create an identity. The, ident the identity is synonymous with the ego. And this has nothing to do with Freudian ego. This is an ego, it's who we perceive ourselves to be. And that is a hierophant, it is a false perception of self. And if you understand the, pro the progression of consciousness escalation, we are tasked with essentially being sent as far away, perceptually sent as far away from the creator as we can get and by surrendering our false perceptions and our distortions of perception evolve back to total unity with the creator the third density is just one of eight ranges of consciousness that we will evolve through it is the beginning of a series of three densities um, called the experiential densities and the experiential densities and we are the first of that range of experiential densities because our task at this range is to become aware and by further progression and escalation of our awareness actually become awareness 
So the top ranges of the, the d- dimensions of this range of consciousness, we become awareness. And when we're talking about mindfulness, then what we're talking about is the capacity to escalate our awareness sufficiently to participate in those upper dimensions of the density. The three areas that you're talking about are the three segments that I have defined of the hierophant, of the false identity. While we remain in the virtually the lower half of these densities, then we remain essentially in chaos. We can range our, we have, we create a median level and from that median level, we oscillate above and below that median level. So when we have good days, we're doing good. We're, we're being, um, uh, aware and consciousness and, and functioning well with other people and so forth. Then we are at the upper peak of our oscillation curve. When we're having bad days, when we're not doing well with people, we're not respecting the image that we have of ourselves, then we have uh, slid below that median level and for the probably near the, the bottom curve of that oscillation cycle. The entire Earth population has had great difficulty over its history of moving people, advancing people into the upper dimensions of this range of consciousness. And there are a variety of reasons for that. But when we um, see the things that are in the news, when we see the uh, Hamas and Israeli battle and the Ukrainian and Russian battle and things of that nature, even the shootings that we, the mass shootings that we see in this country, things of that nature, then that is representative of the lower dimensions of the people that are participating in those events. Uh, it's very self-oriented. The three segments of the, the um, identity that we create, when we begin and we're at the lowest levels, then the, the, the most um, elementary, the lowest level of consciousness is defined by uh, immediate gratification. Anytime that we deal uh, with or our pursuit is totally immediate gratification of whether it be food or sex or just harming other people or whatever it is. If that's our when our sole purpose is immediate gratification, then we are as, as, in the low end of the range of consciousness in this, this density. Anyone who is narcissistic, uh, sociopath, uh, psychopath, they dwell solely in that range of consciousness. It is not a psychological illness as much as it is a spiritual illness. They're just very low range of consciousness, very low range of um, awareness, and they are content with that, but that is very Sisyphusian in that you've got to immediately replace the next um, immediate gratification. As soon as you finish one, you have to replenish that. And so you're constantly pushing that rock up the hill knowing that it's going to roll back down at the end of the day and you're going to have to repeat that the next day this is as a result of making a very basic choice and a very basic choice that we are tasked with and part of the curriculum that i had referenced as part of this density is to make a simple choice the choice is whether we are going to polarize service to self or service to others service to self chooses to maintain and enhance this false identity 
this hierophant that we create. And that is their task. They are, the more they progress along that path, the less concerned they are with anyone other than themselves. And we have great illustration of large portions of the population that are in the news every day that have chosen that path. That is their objective to uh, continue to get immediate gratification, enhance that perception of separation, that service to self-orientation. The majority of the population and the majority of creation has polarized service to others. And this is the path of reunification with the creator. It is a direct path. The service to self path is an indirect path in because they will go as far as they can go, which is quite a bit farther than, than what we are, but still not very far. And they hit a brick wall because the process of evolution is reunification with the creator and you can't be separate from the creator, perceiving yourself separate, and be in unity with the creator. So there is a brick wall that they will eventually hit. Now the penalty for going that path is you're gonna have to go back where you dropped out of school and start learning the lessons that will take you along the service to others path. Um, the middle segment of the Hierophant is the social section. And these are all the beliefs that we have either gotten by osmosis from our parents, from our friends, from society in general. They deal with our social interactions with the world around us. And they, com they constitute a bundle of beliefs. And this bundle of beliefs is how we, what we use in order to guide our path through our daily uh, exercises through our daily experiences. There is a great range uh, as as you were near, I would, um, it's hard to, to illustrate this without an illustration, but the social segment uh, will vacillate to some degree between the uh, immediate gratification section and the social section. In, in other words, when I was talking about the oscillation of that behavior above and above, below our median level of consciousness advancement, then we're vacillating, the lower levels vacillating into that immediate gratification, which is without consideration of other people. And it'll vacillate back into the social section. But as we evolve through our experience in this density, then we will uh, trek less frequently into that immediate gratification section and participate more in what we consider to be um, honorable, uh, moral, ethical, all of those things become automatic. It's not something that we learn. It's not something that we're trained. It is how we are. It's our being. And so someone who is demonstrating those characteristics is also demonstrating their evolutionary progress and their awareness through our range of consciousness. Right. The, basic, the basic section is the most basic. It's how we perceive ourselves. We perceive ourselves as males, white males, black males, black female, whatever that is, is in that basic section. But that again is only a, a, a bundle of beliefs. It is how we perceive ourselves and goes into that um, accumulative hierophant. As we progress through this range of consciousness and as we become ever more mindful in our mindful, mindfulness growth, then we realize we become aware of the lack of the authenticity of our physical body as a representation of who we are and recognize that that 
perception of self that is physical is simply providing us with the opportunity for a certain type of experience. And as a, you know, we, we, we reincarnate constantly. Uh, the average human has incarnated over 3,000 times and some as many as 8,000. And so we incarnate as male, we incarnate as female, as black male, a wealthy person, a poor person. All of those characteristics provide us with an opportunity to have certain types of experiences to fulfill the curriculum necessary to advance our awareness in this range of consciousness. Dean, I want to ask you about meditation and what meditation looks like in your life. How often you meditate, how long, what form it takes? Well, um, it's a good question. I've, uh, I've instructed meditation for about 20 years, a little bit more than 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, my personal meditation began uh, as it did with most, most people. I, I, I conducted a very common life participating in business and family life and so forth prior to my uh, spiritual awakening, so to say. Uh, My meditation began by following guided meditations until the guided meditations became an irritant. And then I relied uh, solely on breathing and I would breathe and I still really wasn't getting anything of significance out of the meditation other than a few minutes of calm. And my meditation really didn't take off in my awareness, didn't really take off until I learned that that breath that is taught as for most people as the only thing that they do in meditation, um, you have to stop that. That's simply a transition tool in order to get you into the meditation state. And then you have to do the work of meditation. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of our discussion, we all have awareness. But awareness is directional. While we are in chaos, uh, we point that awareness outside of us. And by virtue of the existence of our hierophant, what we are doing is trying to trick the world in order to give us more of what we like. Ultimately, and this is not aware, uh, not something that most people are aware of, ultimately what we all seek is love but the irony is we don't know what love is right that's part of the the game we don't know what love is we have to figure out what love is and so while we maintain this hierophant and the hierophant is modified every time we have an experience if i have this perception of self and i have an interaction with you and i am i am unsuccessful in getting more of what i like from that experience with you then that is stress. That by definition is stress. That experience did not meet my expectations. My expectations were a result of my experiences and my experiences are predicated upon my belief system that I've created this hierophant. And so when I am frustrated in that, then I will do one of two things. I will get angry with you for not meeting my expectations or I will modify my uh, beliefs in my hierophant in order to tweak it just enough. If I can just modify that hierophant just right, then I can always get what I like. I can always get more love, which is not possible because the hierophant is a distortion. And love is not something that we get from other people. 
as we progress through our evolutionary process and we continue to be frustrated, we continue to experience stress and or suffering, then we get to a point uh, when we're, we can experience love and all the times in our lives where we have experienced love and it's usually fleeting just for a, a few minutes or maybe an hour or something of that nature where we really are feeling love then what has happened, the environment and the person that we are with, usually can be more than one person, has given us permission and we felt comfortable enough in order to surrender this hierophant and we have allowed ourselves to feel who we already are. We already are love. We already are awareness. We already are uh, love. We already are wisdom, unity, and stillness, which are the uh, five inherent archetypes of the creator that we are learning in our progression through evolution, the, the whole process. And so we get a peek behind the curtain. We get to see, we get to feel, not see, but feel what love feels like, but it's not really defined. It's not our task at this range of consciousness to become love. We are love, but we don't, we don't, uh, we're not aware that we are love. And so that is the task of the next range of consciousness. And so our healing process that allows us to experience greater happiness and to experience greater enlightenment uh, is to surrender these false perceptions of self, but we have to become aware of them. We're, awareness is both the discovery tool and the healing tool because we have to discover what beliefs that we've incorporated excuse me, in our hierophant, and by virtue of the discovery, we're going to surrender them. If you go out one morning and you're headed to work and you look at your car and your car's got a flat tire, well, you're not going to walk away from the car and never use the car again. You've discovered the problem and you fix it, whether you do it yourself or you call the tow truck or whatever, you're going to let it go. You're going to correct the problem. And the same right. is true with our beliefs that we've incorporated into our hierophant into our false identity once we discover the beliefs that's causing us the problem when oh no i'll just leave it there i like that suffering i'm going to keep it we let it go and it is right. that simple a matter of letting it go the hard part is the discovery right right very interesting i want to ask you dean a question about bullying because i've worked in this field for some time and i'm wondering if you have a story about bullying of some kind where mindfulness would have made a difference Mindfulness would always make a difference in everybody's life, regardless of what the circumstances are. Yeah. Uh, but the nature of, we were talking about service to self, people who have polarized service to self. Yes. The nature of service to self, in order to be successful in their path, they have to learn to dominate and subjugate others. And no one is, their objective is to extract from us uh, our life force energy and it's called intelligent energy. We all have the same amount of intelligent energy available to us, but as they polarize more service to self, then they surrender the access, their connection to the source of that intelligent infinity. So they have to substitute that. The only place that they can substitute that is from other people that are in the, the range of consciousness that we are in. And so they employ domination and subjugation in order to control people. And we're seeing again in societies around the world, cultures around the world, this emerging um, influence of the service to self attempting to dominate and subjugate others in order to 
maintain the energy flow that they have already become accustomed to because of our acquiescence over a long period of time. Right. And so that's why part of the reason why we're seeing an influx in hostilities and bellicosity around the world is an effort to cling to that uh, stable flow of intelligent energy from the populace that has, forced, has historically been subservient, now is not so subservient because of awakening, and so that source of energy has been diminished. So that is uh, one of two primary reasons why people become bullies and they try to dominate and subjugate others in order to continue to support their energy needs. Uh, the other source of bullying, which is uh, possibly more um, common to our experience in this country, is simply being when a person is in chaos, then they function from a, a level of fear. There are really only two decisions that we can make that constitute an emotion. We have uh, defined a range of hundreds, if not thousands of words to define emotions. Those are not emotions. Those are our conditions of being. And so when we are feeling sadness, then I'm in the condition of sadness. That in and of itself is not an emotion. I'm interpreting my experiences that come to me from the posture of sadness. An emotion is very simple. Emotion is with every experience, with every, which is every thought. Every single thought is a complete experience. We are obligated to make a decision. We have to decide whether this experience feels good and I like it and want more of it, or it doesn't feel good and I don't like it. That is a complete emotion. That is only the only emotion we have the um, capacity to experience. But if it is a positive interpretation of that experience, and that is re it's meeting our expectations, it's giving us more of what we like, it's reinforcing the beliefs that we've incorporated into our identity. If it doesn't feel good, then that's stress, period. It can be a tiny bit of stress or it can be a huge amount of stress. It's still just stress. And that is a message to us. Stress is actually our teacher. Stress is teaching us what we have incorporated into our belief system, into our hierophant, our false identity, that we need to become aware of and surrender. And so consequently, a negative experience is actually more instructional for us, potentially instructional for us, than a positive experience because it is allowing us the opportunity to heal so that we no longer experience that. Dean, your website is ddeangraves.org. That's correct. I'll re repeat that, ddeangraves.org, and Dean is D-E-A-N. Yes. So what can we expect to see when we go to your website, Dean? Uh, information. Um, uh, the, the, the website in and of itself is fairly brief. brief. It gives you know, information on me and services right. that I have to offer. It also sure. has links to the books that I have um, uh, available. Um, the, um, for most people, I would say the, the identity model would be a good place to start because it facilitates healing immediately. I've right. included in the back of the, in the appendix of the book three exercises, two of which that can be self-applied and one that requires a partner mm -hmm. to um, uh, to work with, but they have I, I use them in my uh, mental health practice, mm -hmm. uh, and they are dramatically effective. I've had uh, using those exact techniques that are um, explained quite simply. Uh, I have aided people in healing PTSD from Vietnam, 
from traumas that they've had for years that they've been unable to get rid of. Uh, they're processes that I use myself and my and my wife. Uh, we we were trained in these methods and they were uh, mm-hmm. created by a Serbian psychologist. And my wife had significant health difficulties and suffered from cluster headaches. And I don't know mm-hmm. if you're familiar with cluster headaches, but they yes. their nickname is suicide headaches because so many people kill themselves because they're so bad. Well, right. her headaches got um, what got us into these methodologies. Um, she had had them had these headaches since she was about twelve, and she had learned to cope with them. Okay, uh, they cycle and would maybe uh, materialize over a thirty to forty-five day period once a year, and it was something she learned to cope with. But they oftentimes go chronic, so they don't go away. They're just a constant cycle of these headaches coming on and on. So and hers reached that point. Um, and so med- medicines just didn't work. We traveled around the country. There are two clinics, one in Houston and one in uh, Chicago that specialized in cluster headaches. And their their remedies were not acceptable. They essentially wanted to induce an artificial stroke on half the, the body in order to oh. sever your capacity to, it, to feel pain. Oh, wow. And so that wasn't suitable. And so uh, uh, actually a cousin of mine suggested that we investigate um, some non-medicine methods that uh, he had had tremendous success with for allergies and uh, asthma and things of that nature. And it completely cleared his ailments. And so we had nothing to lose. So we began being trained in a variety of these different methods and those that I have included in the book that were created by Dr. Zivrod Slavinsky by far have proven to be the most successful, the most dramatic. Oh, wow, dramatic. that's great. And so I, I encourage any of your listeners that want to simply advance their enlightenment or have medical body situations to, to uh, heal, then these methodologies are, are tremendous towards um, doing that. And as wow. I say, two of them can be self-applied uh, or, you know, aided with another person, but they can be mm-hmm. self-applied. The one of them does require a participant to uh, right. to help you with it. Okay, that's great. And that's, yeah, that's in your book, uh, The Identity Model. So Mindful Tribe, consider getting this book. It has so much to offer. Now, as we move forward in the interview, Dean, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30-second okay. answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life? Uh, non-living the Buddha. Right, uh, sure. I, um, you, you know, part of my my process is learning to uh, communicate with our metaphysical beings, mm-hmm. and uh, which is evidence what we do with uh, chatting with the Arcturians, and the Buddha is one sure. of my primary contacts. Right, and I, chatting with the Arcturians is your podcast. I want to make right, sure that's that correct. that's clear to our listeners. Yes, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and my second question is about emotions, and this may be tricky to keep down to 30 seconds, but how has mindfulness affected your emotions and how you deal with them? much less reactive. Uh, I, um, I experience uh, s- stress from two sources, and both of them are my children. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which yeah. It's tough to break that mental bond, you know, between your children, yeah. but uh, I really don't experience stress uh, beyond that, and that's something that I spend time every day working on, you know, where am I, am I finding this stress? Um, and um, it 
when you surrender these false beliefs, then your need to be right greatly diminishes. And so your expectations become modified and you can experience things as they actually are. And the Buddha referred to this as being an empty vessel. And I'm not an empty vessel yet, but that's what I'm working towards. And I feel my progress. You can feel your progression towards that because you experience greater happiness. Sure, sure. My next question is about um, breathing and whether you have some thoughts, ideas, suggestions about breathing as it relates to mindfulness. Breathing is helpful as a transition tool into a mindfulness state or, or controlling your breathing tool. But understand what you're doing by breathing is you're bringing that awareness that is flopping around outside of you back inside. So it's one of many methods that you can use in order to invert that awareness back inside of you and learning to keep that awareness inside of you. And when you're in heavy traffic or something of that nature, you can let more of the awareness outside to deal with the circumstances that you're in. But when you're out of that, you want to remember to bring that awareness back inside. And so the more you can keep your awareness inside, the more consistently you will experience mindfulness. Yes. You've written some impressive books. Are there any other books that you recommend that are related to mindfulness? Well, that uh, everything is related to mindfulness because everything is predicated upon our awareness of self and in development of self. Uh, I have another book that is also available called Edifying Children of a Lesser God, and it is informational. It is introductory information into structure of the universe, our role in the universe, and so on and so forth. My compendium book is being published next year. It's being commercially published, and it will be available for, for pre-order in mid-December. And okay. And the enigma of consciousness, a okay. man's spiritual relationship to creation. Well, it's actually uh, humanity's spiritual relationship to pre, uh, creation. And it is um, very detailed. Uh, and it goes into as much depth as I think people would want to get from outside of themselves if they understand that and do the work then they can get the, the information is available to everybody it's not um uh, it's not un- uniquely isolated in in my delivery but it sure. uh, does require some understanding in order to surrender our foundational beliefs and and accept truth right yeah dean are there any apps of any description that you recommend or that you use to help with mindfulness you know, I've, I've been asked that, and I, I really don't have any good ones that I can recommend. Mindfulness, our journey is an individual journey. Yeah. And, you know, when I began my meditation practice and I relied on, as most people do, the guided meditations, I sure. used to have accoutrements, you know, candles and bowls and things of that yeah. nature. And that at the time was helpful, but you very fairly quickly realized that these are just, just distractions. And as you develop that awareness and your capacity to bring this awareness inside, you can sit down in the middle of Times Square and have a wonderful meditation and just screen out all the the, all the distractions. And so, you know, if if an app works for you, then use it. But you're going to find that soon it uh, it becomes a distraction and you want to have that that self-awareness and that relationship with yourself that you don't need any of those accoutrements. Right. Well, thank you for that information. And as we wrap up the interview, I just want to ask you if you have any final brief words of advice. Uh, do the work. It, yeah. it is work. It is, uh, quite honestly, it's the hardest thing that you'll ever do because you've got to change your perception of self. And the 
hindrance to most people doing the work is fear. If I'm giving up my perception of self, who am I? And that is very fearful because there's a lot of commonality of beliefs that we share and incorporate into our perception of self. But our bliss is our objective. Bliss is nothing more than the absence of stress. The only source of stress is this false perception of self that we perpetuate, that we maintain. So the more of that that you can surrender, the closer you're going to get to bliss. The closer you get to bliss, the more happiness you experience. And so I, I encourage people, uh, and, and the onus of, of doing the work is on the individual. And there's no one that can do that for you. You are the only one that can do the work. And it is work, but it is the most beneficial thing that you can do. It is your purpose in life to explore yourself. Well, thank you for doing the work and sharing all that you've learned with the world. And thank you for coming on Mindfulness Mode. I really appreciate meeting you and having you on the show, Dean. Likewise, I'm grateful for the opportunity. And if, I, if anything I can do to, to help or questions or whatever, I'm open. My objective is to help to, to trigger a new age of enlightenment. Uh, which is nothing more than escalating the awareness of the populace. And that's what I do with uh, the books and the podcast. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, thank you again, and you have a great rest of your day, Dean. Thank you, Bruce. You as well. Okay. Bye now. Bye-bye. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for joining us today. And I want to thank my sponsor, Athletic Greens. They have a product called AG1, and I can tell you that this is a terrific product. It contains 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, and probiotics. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, this will work for you. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, no artificial ingredients. It supports better sleep and better alertness. Athletic Greens uses the best products based on the latest science and it costs less than three dollars a day so here's a special offer for you mindful tribe athletic greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of vitamin d and five free travel packs with your first purchase all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com mindfulness and with that take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm focus and happiness stay in the mode <laughs>